Welcome to Grace to All. I'm your host, Paul Gray. You've probably used the word grace, sang Amazing Grace, or said grace at a meal. But did you know that God's grace is way better than we can even imagine, and that you and all people already have an abundant supply of God's unlimited amazing grace? Today, we're going to hear the truth about God's amazing grace to all people. So, sit back, relax, and prepare to be inspired and awakened to the amazing treasures that you already possess. This is truth that you can handle. Hello again, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Grace to All with Paul Gray. A couple of weeks ago, I talked to you about the lady at the well, the woman at the well. We learned what her name was. It was Fotini. And we learned some amazing things about her, even about her being included as an apostle and as one of Jesus' inner circle of four that we were always taught was three before. Fascinating stuff. And I hope some of you had the opportunity to research that a little bit more. Well, we're going to talk about another woman in Jesus' life today, and we're going to talk about her name. This is a story of the woman caught in adultery. I'm going to read you the Passion Translation of that, and then we're going to look at some very interesting things. John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. Jesus walked up the Mount of Olives near the city where he spent the night. By the way, Jesus was homeless. Did you know that? Then at dawn, Jesus appeared in the temple courts again, and soon all the people gathered around to listen to his words. So he sat down and taught them. Then in the middle of his teaching, right there in the middle of church, if you will, in the middle of his teaching, the religious scholars and the Pharisees, now the re- religious scholars were sometimes called scribes. They were called teachers of the law. These were the people who focused on the law and sin all the time. That's what their teaching was all about. The religious scholars and the Pharisees broke through the crowd, just interrupted Jesus, and brought a woman who had been caught in the act of committing adultery and made her stand in the middle of everyone. What was that woman's name? We're going to talk about that in a little bit. Then they said to Jesus, teacher, we caught this woman in the very act of adultery. How did they know where she was and that she was committing the act of adultery? Most Bible scholars believe they set her up. The Jewish law, the law of Moses, as Jesus called it, in Deuteronomy 22, verse 22, said, if a man and or woman commits adultery, they are both to be killed, stoned to death publicly. Where was the man in this situation? It seems apparent to most biblical scholars, and I agree with this line of thinking, that the Pharisees set Jesus up. They got one of their guys to get a woman and commit adultery with her, and then they let the man go, but they brought the woman in. Most likely, she was either naked or clothed with just a sheet or something like that. This had to be the most embarrassing thing of her life, like her worst nightmares had come true. She was brought out by the religious leaders and 
religion, the Jewish religion in that day, permeated everything. It wasn't just like one of many religions in uh, Israel or something that some people did, or you go to church maybe on certain holidays. Or No, it permeated every area of their life. If you committed adultery, not only were you considered a sinner that should be stoned to death, but you were considered unclean and unworthy in God's sight and in man's sight. So they said to Jesus, doesn't Moses' law command us to stone to death a woman like this? Again, they focused on the law and on sin, sin making people unclean, not fit for God or for righteous Jewish people. Today, we would say a good Christian. Now, we know today, I've taught you this before, we know that sin The Greek word that the New Testament, most of it was written in, it comes from the Greek word harmartia, which means missing the mark of God's love and grace. The actual sin of the world, sin of anybody, is not knowing God's unconditional love and grace for themselves and for everyone. And when you don't know that, then you try to get your needs met in all sorts of other ways. and the outgrowth of that or the acting out of that are different sins, like lying, adultery, whatever. But the basis of all sin, what God is concerned about is whether or not we know and experience his unconditional love and grace. And he wants all of us to, his will is that we all will. And Jesus sent to reveal the father to us what he was really like and what his unconditional love and grace is like. Well, these Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the religious teachers who focused on Moses' law and sin, they didn't want to have any of that. So they were trying to do whatever they could to trap Jesus because he was considered a rabbi. He taught under the time period of Jesus' law. If a rabbi went against the law, then he could be stoned and killed. And of course, they did eventually kill him. So they said, doesn't Moses' law command us to stone to death a woman like this? Tell us, what do you say we should do with her? And in verse 6, it says they were only testing Jesus because they hoped to trap him with his own words and accuse him of breaking the laws of Moses. But Jesus didn't answer him. Many times that's what happened. People would ask Jesus a trick question or not even necessarily a trick question. He'd ask him a question and he wouldn't answer their question. He would talk about something else or do something else because he knew what the real issue was. So he didn't answer him. Instead, he simply bent down and wrote in the dust with his finger. There's been all kinds of speculation throughout the years as to what Jesus wrote. I think I know. I'm going to tell you before we end today. Angry, the Pharisees and religious leaders were angry with Jesus, and they kept insisting that he answered their question. They asked him over and over again. He just kept writing. Finally, he stood up and looked at them and said, let's have the man who has never had a sinful desire throw the first stone at her. Then he bent over again and wrote some more words in the dust. Upon hearing that, her accusers slowly left the crowd one at a time beginning with the oldest to the youngest, with a convicted conscience, until finally 
Jesus was left alone with the woman still standing there in front of him. God is the only one who is able, who has the right to judge us and condemn us. So Jesus stood up and said to her, dear woman, and the dear woman is a term of real endearment. It's a term of acceptance. It's a term of inclusion. It's a term of love and endearment. He says, dear women, where are your accusers? Is there no one here to condemn you? Looking around, she replied, I see no one, Lord. We're going to come back to that word, Lord. Jesus said, I certainly don't condemn you. Go, and from now on be free from a life of sin, or never again believe a lie about yourself, as the Passion translates it. Jesus is not telling her, go and don't do something bad again, or you're going to get in trouble again. He's saying, no, go and no longer miss the mark of God's unconditional love and grace and goodness and acceptance. Know who you are. Don't believe lies about yourself or God or anyone else. And the woman left. Now, I want to read you some commentary the footnotes in the Passion Translation from Brian Simmons. He says the Aramaic version of this, which is what Jesus, the language Jesus spoke. He didn't speak King James English. He didn't speak Greek. He he may have known Greek, but when they were around in everyday life, he spoke and taught Aramaic because that's what he learned when he grew up. And that's what the people of the day spoke and knew. Most of them couldn't read or write speaking Greek to them would be like Greek to us. Lion Simmons says the Aramaic contains a powerful testimony from this woman, which I never caught it until I saw this footnote. The woman gave a powerful testimony in this story. Do you know what it was? He said, apparently, the woman had the revelation of who Jesus really was, for she addressed Jesus with the divine name in the Aramaic. M-A-R-Y-A-R, Lord Yahweh. Yahweh is God's name from the Old Testament, which is all they had then. Which say, Yahweh means I am who I am, Lord Yahweh. She called Jesus Lord Yahweh, acknowledging he was and is the Lord, the I am. Now, Brian Simmons says it should also be noted that this entire episode is missing in the majority of the most reliable Greek manuscripts. The Greek manuscripts, there are two main ones that we we don't have the original ones, of course. We have some that came along over 100 years later. There's one main Greek manuscript that the King James and NIV and some others are translated from. There's another one that's called a little bit lesser than that simply because there aren't as many copies of it that the New American Standard and others are translated from. And they're very similar, but they're not exactly the same. It says it should be noticed that this entire episode is missing in the majority of the most reliable Greek manuscripts. There are some manuscripts, he noted, that have this story at the end of the book of John, and at least two that include it in the Gospel of Luke. He said, many scholars surmise that this episode in the ministry of Jesus was added after the Gospel of John had been completed. However, he says, it's his conclusion 
that the above text is indeed an inspired account of the ministry of Jesus and may have been deleted by many translators and copyists who doubted that Jesus could tell an adulterer that he would not condemn her. How's that for translator bias? St. Augustine, he says, one of the early church fathers, 400 years after Jesus, mentioned this story and stated that many translators had removed it because they interpreted it as Jesus giving license to immorality. So translators interpreted scripture, the original Greek, however they wanted to. And they would insert things or leave things out. We know that now because we have all of these records and writings and things that many have been hidden in ancient libraries for a long time. But now research and study and the Internet and making everything available has brought this to light. So not to open another can of worms, but I just want to say here, I believe for a long time that the Bible was inerrant and infallible. I had no idea what either one of those words meant, and I'd never done any study. When you find out things like this, that the early translators would insert or leave out things at their discretion and then pass it on and people would copy it and copy it and copy it and some of them would change things, you start to realize, I believe that what was originally written was inspired, but not everything that we have today was inspired. Some of it was added by translators, and some of it that was inspired was deleted by translators. Brian, that's just an aside there, so I don't. that's not what the point of what I'm talking about today, but I want you to know that. And then Brian Simmons ends his footnotes on that passage with this. God's grace always seems to startle the religious. Isn't that the truth? God's grace always seems to startle the religious. And then what we do with that startling effect makes all the difference in the world in our life as to whether or not we miss the mark of God's unconditional love and grace. Now, what did Jesus write in the dirt? What did he write? Well, I will say up front, we don't know for sure. There's no recording of it, and of course, we weren't there. Now, I want to add to that what I teach you all and tell you all all the time. God speaks to us all the time. God is all about communicating. He's all about communicating with us. I mean, he made us to be one with him, to be in his family, to be people who could experience and enjoy his love. He made us to create us in his triune circle dance of love. And, of course, everything good comes from that love, joy and peace and patience, kindness, and goodness and gentleness, the faith of Christ, Holy Spirit, power, compassion, mercy. All of those things flow out of God's unconditional love continually and flow out of the divine triune circle dance of his love, which is called perichoresis, that we have all been included in and that Ephesians 1 says we were all included in before the beginning of time. We were all in that dance, in spirit form, before the beginning of time. And then one by one, at the point of time, we've come into time and space in this earth, 
experience what it's like being a human. And at a point in time, we will go back to the spirit realm in the divine triune circle dance, perichoresis, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and everybody. All right. What did Jesus write in the dirt? Well, I was thinking about this passage and praying, and Papa said to me, do you want to know what Jesus wrote? And I said, yeah. And he told me. Now, I'm going to give you my best understanding today of God speaking to us. God speaks to all of us all the time. He tells us different things at different times. Sometimes he will tell us a meaning of scripture that we've never seen before. Sometimes he'll tell us what he wants us to know about other people. Sometimes he'll reveal things to us about ourselves. He never does it with condemnation or shame or guilt. It's always loving, always encouraging, always uplifting. And I also believe that he may tell you something about a situation one day and tell me, maybe the very same day, something else about that situation. Does that mean that they're in conflict? No. He's telling us what he wants us to know about the situation for our understanding, our place and time, and what we're doing. Here's what he told me. He said, Paul, Jesus knelt down and wrote in the dirt, and he wrote in Aramaic, which they would have, that's what they spoke, and that's what we read. He wrote, Papa, this is what would be in today's English. Then it would have been Abba Agape, Papa Loves, and then he wrote the name of the woman. Papa Loves, he wrote the woman's name. And then he wrote Abba Agape, or Agapeo, Papa Loves, the name of the oldest one there in this group of religious leaders. And then he wrote, Papa loves the first name of the next oldest. And on and on. He wrote each one of their names. Papa, God, Father, Yahweh, I am that I am, loves each of you. And that's what they were gripped by. That God loves that woman. And he loved each of them just the same. And of course, Jesus demonstrated that love. Now, that rings true with what we know of God's character. God is love. God loves everyone. God loves all of us. So I'm going with that's what Jesus wrote. At least that's what I need to know. I want to close today by asking you to do a couple of things. One, to say to yourself, say it out loud, Papa loves your name. And think about that. We're going to finish in just a minute. Write that down if you would. You can remember it, but write it down so that you will remember it and come back to it. And just spend some time in silence. No TV on, no media going, nobody else around. 
in the quiet and just think about Papa loves, unconditionally loves me. No matter what I've done, even if I were caught in the act of adultery and taken down to the corner of Main and Broad Streets in bright daylight and exposed to everyone, even if I did something like that, whatever I've done, Papa's not focused on my sin. He took all that away. What he's focused on is me knowing his unconditional love and grace for me. Papa loves and say your name. Then I know what Papa wants. He wants you to know that and experience that. And he wants you to know that is absolutely true about every other person on the face of the earth. Whether they've been caught in adultery or whatever they've done that you may have judged as unforgivable, whatever they've done that your religious institution may say is the unforgivable sin, whatever they may have done that history shows is heinous and awful and despicable, whatever. See, his love is unconditional love for everyone, self-sacrificing love for everyone, love that always does what's best for the other person. And his love is all about bringing about justice. And God's definition of justice is making all things right for everyone. Papa loves you, and Papa loves everybody else in your household, in your life, at your place of work, at your church, in your political party, in the other political party, in other countries. Papa loves everyone. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next time on Grace to All with Paul Gray. Papa loves you. Thank you for listening to Grace to All. For more about us, how we can serve you, and our special guest, please visit www.gracewithpaulgray.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode and to join our Facebook group, Grace to All, where you'll be inspired and awakened to more truth that you can handle.